who's ready for another Dave and Darren Top 5 Things podcast? Hopefully you are, because that's what you've downloaded. That's what you're listening to. That's what's about to happen. Here's a review of what happened on our morning show, the top five things that we got done on the morning show. My name is Dave, and this is my partner, Darren. Oh, I might have made a huge mistake. No, you haven't. You're exactly where you belong. The Dave and Darren Top 5 Things podcast is brought to you by Nature's Treatment of Illinois. They've got two locations, one in Milan on Tech Drive, and then the other one in Galesburg on West Main Street. Milan's open every day. Galesburg is open weekdays and Saturdays. Nature's Treatment offers a wide selection of products for recreational use, including flower, vapes, and edibles. Sign up for the newsletter and connect with Nature's Treatment on Twitter and also on Instagram. Buckle up and get ready for it. Here we go. Number one. Number one. 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 Number one. Our friends to the north in Canada, there's a a big chain store up there called Canadian Tire. That's Mm. where you go to get your Canadian tires is at the Canadian Tire store. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I am assuming that the tires up there are made out of like maple syrup or something. I don't know. Let me take a look here on the big board. We don't have any Canadian listeners right now. Okay. We're good. We're, We're all right. There was some sort of mess up where people were running to Canadian Tire because when you were buying your tires, for whatever reason, and and Canadian Tire is, I guess, a, a store that has more than just tires, right? It looks kind of like a like a much bigger store than it almost looks like kind of like a farm and fleet. If they were Canadian tired, you could sell mattresses. That's not bad. I mean, I'm looking here. They've got fitness exercise, uh, outdoor tools, power tools. It looks sort of like a a Menards farm and fleet kind of situation, all right? Uh So it's not just tire stores. They also sell toys. And somehow there was some screw-up in the computer system. So everything that they were ringing up there at the store Mm -hmm. was coming out as a Mr. Potato Head. (laughs) You would go to the And get charged for the price of a Mr. Potato Head. Right. I'm going to get tires on my car. I'm going to get some cookware, maybe some furniture, maybe some vacuums or something. And then then everything was just coming up as Mr. Potato Head. Which is a good deal on tires. Yeah, I will see. I had to buy four tires earlier this year. Uh I would have much rather bought four Mr. Potato Heads. No matter what they tried to do the staff could not correct the glitch in the computers. And so they had to shut down the stores. Now, this only happened at two of their locations. They're trying to figure out how this could have happened. You get to the point of sale, and, you know, when (laughs) when you're getting your bill and it's not what you thought it was going to be, and you look at the receipt and it looks like you bought 11 Mr. Potato Head dogs. Uh They're going to lock you up. Yeah, right. Exactly. But, all right. So here's the thing. I'm guessing they probably resolved this. They did. But when you resolve it, mm-hmm. remember what it was that you did. And then and then then write that out. Right. Laminate it. Right. And put it everywhere so that if you ever have the Mr. Potato Head problem again, this is what you need to do. Mr. Potato Head originally was just the plastic pieces and you were supposed to put it in a real potato that makes sense the 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 plastic potato that didn't start until 1964 from 52 to 64 Mm -hmm. it was just eyes and mustache and hat 
that you were supposed to put on a real honest-to-God potato. Until someone realized, hey, we're wasting a perfectly good potato here. Well, there is... <laughs> Uh, there, well, there's there's that, and there's we're kind of we're dealing with some tough times here, and I'm right. trying to put a, I'm trying to feed this family. It was it had the separate plastic parts with the push pins. You could just jam it into a real potato or any vegetable will do. But then then you have the problem of your kid playing with a potato, and it's fine until you know the potato starts to rot. Mm-hmm. That's that's not the best can't have children playing with rotten vegetables we're kind of trying to stretch our grocery money here too i mean i know it's just a potato now my kid won't eat any vegetables because he thinks they're real because he puts faces on he made a whole family of these things (laughs) i'm starving over here (laughs) you could really put those feet and ears and mouths and eyes on on anything right I mean, you could you could be Mister. It could be Mister. Uh, iron- ribeye steak. He ironically named this one Wavy Gravy. It's <laughs> not right. I could really go for some mashed potatoes and gravy. <laughs> but no, we got to keep Junior entertained. Here's a stick. Go run around the yard with a stick. You're telling your kids not to play with your food, and yeah. then you give them this. Does it does it make a lick of sense? <laughs> Kid playing with rotten potatoes. Brooklyn-born inventor George Lerner came up with the idea of inserting small pronged body and face parts into fruits and vegetables to create a funny face man. There's some speculation that they got the idea from his wife's nephew, who was seen placing sticks inside of potatoes in the family garden. What is that kid doing now? That sounds like that, that sounds like behavior like a serial killer would do. That, right? Like just out here jabbing these potatoes with sticks. The kids out there ruining our vegetables again. Lerner would often take potatoes from his mother's garden and using various other fruits and vegetables as facial features, he would make dolls for his younger sisters to play with. Voodoo dolls. So you had a, a, a potato head with grapes for eyes and carrots for a nose. And that became the idea for the plastic toy, which would later be manufactured. The toy was controversial at first because, like you're saying... World War Two, yeah, just gotten. Uh, These are my friends. I would never harm them. Food rationing, yeah, had just taken place, and you're going to waste fruits and vegetables. These are people who just got out of the Great Depression and then World War Two, and you're saying, why don't we just, you know, use food for props? Hey, Junior, how about I paint you a rock? <laughs> he eventually would convince a food company to distribute the plastic parts as premiums in breakfast cereal boxes. That makes sense. So you would get like a pair of eyes in a box of Cheerios, something like that. Mm-hmm. He sold the idea for $5,000. 1951, he showed the idea. And ironically spent it all on potatoes. To the Hasenfeld brothers. Yeah, that would be the perfect uh, cereal mm-hmm. prize. So the Hasenfield brothers, who would later change the name of the company to Hasbro, Bruh. 
paid the cereal company $2,000 to stop production of the, you know, plastic pieces for the cereal boxes, and they bought the rights for $5,000. They gave him an advance, $500 advance, and a 5% royalty on every kit sold. Well, there you go. Now, that ain't bad. The original toy came out in 52. It cost 98 cents. Came with hands, feet, ears, two mouths, two pairs of eyes, four noses, three hats, eyeglasses, a pipe, and eight felt pieces so you could put a little beard on Mr. Potato Head if you wanted. Again, there was no plastic body, so your parents had to go get their own potato, and then you, you could stick the pieces in the potato. But yeah, 500 bucks in 52, and then you get a little on the back end of Mr. Potato. That's not bad. Oh, I feel better about his deal. Yeah. <laughs> it was a concern for you? Well, yeah, $5,000. Right. With a $500 advance. Now get out of here. I had an English teacher in high school who would go off on rants because he kept telling us that his grandfather invented bleach. Bleach? Came up with the idea for bleach. Hmm. And so The all-encompassing bleach. Yeah, he came up with bleach. And he sold the rights to bleach for like 300 bucks. And it was a it was a great tool. It haunted the it haunted every member of the family for the rest of their days. It was a great tool that we would use against this poor man because whenever he wanted to get anything done in our English class, we would just say, "Hey, tell us a story about uh, it was borax. Oh. It was borax that he invented. Borax is a bleach, right? Yeah. Yeah, the, the, his his grandfather invented borax. So we'd be like, "All right, we're going to have a pop quiz today." And we're like, "Okay, oh. that's great, but what about that time? Would you tell us the story about how your grandfather invented borax? Oh, and he don't would get just, me started. He would just go on this half-hour rant, and then the bell would ring, and uh, so much for your pop quiz, Mr. Haynes. Not this day. Not <laughs> today. My grandfather invented borax. That family ripped it. My family is destitute because my idiot grandfather sold them the recipe for nothing. $300. He sold them the rights. He got nothing. And and I, I think the story went, too, that he ended up just wasting that money on nothing, too. Like, just, just a great story. You you invent something like that, and then you get nothing for it. So, yeah, Mr. Potato Head's guy's doing okay. I got to sit here and after school and watch your de- take care of your detentions. <laughs> a lot of detentions in a private school. Well, I would have to think that that would be uh, not, uh, right. that doesn't happen. Well, so, yeah, no. Well, at an all-boys school, it certainly happens. It, 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 okay. Yeah, but, uh, we didn't use the term detention, though. You got a jug. What, a jug? A jug. A jug which uh, jug stands for justice under God. Mm. Uh, if you got a half-hour jug, you had to stand in silence for oh, half an hour. Oh, boy. And then... Uh, Anywhere you want? Well, no, there were, there were seats. You'd go to the jug room, and you would stand in front of your desk in silence and then uh for the if you did you got a half hour jug for something like being late to class or something boy and if you got in uh, big trouble with an hour jug uh-huh. you had to stand for a half hour and then you could sit for the other half hour and read a book mm. yeah the, so that's what we called detentions when i was in catholic school in chicago okay jug 
Yeah, I wouldn't think there would be. I wouldn't think it's allowed. You just we're not we're not we're not doing this. We're I'm, we are not going to have discipline problems. Oh no, believe me, it was it was a thing. A plenty, huh? Oh yeah. Two. 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 Alex Trebek passed away on Sunday, 80 years old, died uh, after dealing with pancreatic cancer. By all accounts, his, his final day was spent doing exactly what he wanted to do. He wanted to just hang out in the front porch swing with his wife. Mm. And that's what he did and, uh, and went peacefully. So it, it sucks that Alex Trebek is gone. It also kind of sucks that it's just a couple hours after his passing and the jockeying for that gig has already begun. Who will be the next host of Jeopardy? So people are actually lobbying for it? Well, this is the thing. The, the, the only person right now who's said to be actively lobbying for the job uh-huh. is also actively denying that they're lobbying for okay. the job. Okay. But it's worth pointing out, you have people that do that lobbying for you, right? Like you have an yes. agent that is working behind the scenes to make this happen. Some people have agents, yes. Yes, yes. Uh, any any idea who you think uh, would be the next Jeopardy host? Well, I always thought that the, is it is it who's the Jennings guy? Ken Jennings. I would think that that would make a lot of sense. And he's said to be the favorite because and he's, he's somewhat interested. Well, I don't, or no, I don't, or maybe not. I don't know because I I I know that people are saying that's what they would like to see that that Ken Jennings would be the ideal replacement. But maybe for Alex be, Trebek. But maybe he'd be dreadful at it. He's forty six years old. Uh, this is a guy who has won more money than anybody else. I think he's got enough of a personality. And really, I'm, there's not... Look, there, there's not a lot to it. Well, Let's I didn't, say hello I to didn't, our contestants. I didn't want to say that. I read the little thing on the board. I understand you've got a story about your stamp collection. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot to it. Okay. I mean, Alex Trebek was the best ever at it. But, I mean... The best at not much. Well, I mean... He was perfect for that job, and, and replacing him is going to be difficult. But we're not asking you to dance around with a bottle on your head. Or spin plates. No, no. Ken Jennings not the person, though, who is said to be actively looking uh, for, for the gig. Uh, now, he's obviously got some things to say about Alex Trebek and his passing. Uh, Jennings saying... Uh, Alex Trebek was a, a kind of authoritarian figure, and that's not put on. Quote, he's got that old-school broadcaster thing. He's that kind of old-school gentleman. But I think the thing that might surprise home viewers is he's not star- starchy or smug in any way. During commercial breaks, he's usually loose and goofy, telling jokes, and he does accents. He's much more a goofy uncle than the stern father stereotype. So, yeah, when the cameras are But when off, the cameras are on... <laughs> I am in a control position. He really is. America, God shed his grace on me. Which doesn't make any sense because he's Canadian. Uh, a naturalized citizen of the East United States. Oh, okay. Alex Trebek, I'll have you know. An American and Canadian treasure. No, the person who is said to be actively lobbying for the job, the guy who very much wants to be the new host of Jeopardy, mm-hmm. is... George Stephanopoulos. Okay, now would he still keep his job as the host of Good Morning America and this week with George Stephanopoulos? And if he was going to keep those jobs, would he just basically kind of incorporate Jeopardy into 
what he does at those two shows so that now this week with George Stephanopoulos, you have your round table and everything. Mm-hmm. And it really kind of almost turns into pardon the interruption. <laughs> Interesting. In, in a Jeopardy form. Interesting. George Stephanopoulos's people lobbying for him to become the next host of Jeopardy. His agent, Alan Berger, not responding for requests for comment. But a knowledgeable individual close to George Stephanopoulos, as you mentioned, the co-host of Good Morning America, denying that he's actively pursuing the role. No, that's what my agent's doing. But Stephanopoulos certainly has his eye on the position. And his agent is lobbying hard at ABC, where he serves as ABC News' chief anchor and political correspondent. But... Jeopardy's not an ABC show. Yeah, where do you find AB, Where do you well, find Jeopardy? It's syndicated. Yeah. Right? Yeah, okay. By, uh, what is it, King World? Uh, it used to be a Merv Griffin television production. I think I think technically CBS owns Jeopardy. Let me ask you this. Is there anything that Merv Griffin couldn't do? Hmm. Uh, that's, a, that's a fair question. Hmm. I'd say sing. <laughs> I think that's a fair point. <laughs> Can't say I'm a big fan of his uh, version of I've Got a Lovely Bunch of Coconuts. Not my favorite. Yeah, behind the scenes, producers are said to be uh, lobbying for Ken Jennings, mm-hmm. uh, that, that he's been groomed for this job. Oh, even groomed. Well, that's that's the talk, that potentially Ken Jennings could be. Did anyone sub while he was sick? No, not that I'm aware. I know Pat Sajak would would show up every once in a while on like April Fool's Day, but I don't know that they've ever had like a guest okay, host. Okay, so there wasn't anybody who had any sort of real practice with it. No. Now, um, the Survivor guy, that Jeff Probst, he was the host of Rock and Roll Jeopardy. So, I mean, at least then you kind of know how to run a Jeopardy game. Mm-hmm. And doesn't doesn't uh, Dan Patrick do sort of a, a sports Jeopardy? Don't Isn't there know. a show where he's like kind of the Alex Trebek of sports? Or at least used one. to. Um, either of those guys, I, I suppose, would be okay, but probably not. And, and this is the thing. Ken Jennings, like his whole gig is that I was the big deal on Jeopardy. George Stephanopoulos has enough to do. Why, right? why don't they get Ryan Seacrest to do it? Oh, don't even joke about that. Because no one believes that Ryan Seacrest... Here's the thing about Alex Trebek. Alex Trebek was able to convince us that he knew all of that stuff. Did he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alex Trebek never looked at the camera and went, you know, I didn't know that one. He kind of made it seem like he had come up with the questions himself. Now, I understand there's teams of writers, but he was the quiz master. If Ryan Seacrest was there, no one would believe that he would know anything. He'd probably mispronounce all the the terms. Plus, Seacrest has enough jobs, too, doesn't he? Well, I thought the idea was to give all the jobs in this country to one person. No, not that person. No. New York Post running this story that Stephanopoulos desperately wants to host Jeopardy. Hmm. We'll see. Uh, But the likely successor is going to be Ken Jennings. And he won't be too intimidating for everyone, huh? Ken Jennings? Yeah. No, he's kind of... just roll his eyes at every wrong answer. No, he's kind of... I knew that. I knew that. He was hired in January as a consulting producer, and they say they did that to kind of groom him for this eventuality. Okay. 
And it's also said that all of the producers and everyone connected with the show loves Ken Jennings. So Well, then that's who it's going to be, it sounds like. Right. Nobody, nobody... Uh, I mean, if you've got the simple answer in front of your face, go with the simple answer. See, I remember when Jeopardy started back in the 80s. With Art Fleming? No, Fleming was 60s and 70s. That's right. And I remember there being, for at least a little bit of time, going, this, this Alex Trebek is no Art Fleming. Well, he was just coming off his high roller stint. That's right. I forgot about high rollers. Now you've got a now you've got a TV show. <laughs> it puts Jeopardy to shame. Art Fleming also died of pancreatic cancer. Died in uh, 1995 of pancreatic cancer. So both hosts of Jeopardy uh, dying of pancreatic cancer. That oh. could end up being a daily double question. Boy. Number three. 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 Follow up to a story we first brought you on Dave and Darren in the morning yesterday. Everyone's talking about it. Evidence of voter fraud. I'm referring, of course, to the bird of the year contest down in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. You had wondered. We had talked about a bunch of birds that were in the running for bird of the year in New Zealand. And it seemed like we'd mentioned a lot of birds, but we did not mention the kiwi, which you thought was odd as the kiwi is such a such a magnificent magnificent symbol of the people in New Zealand, that they call themselves Kiwis. Well, votes are flying in down there in New Zealand for Bird of the Year. And the votes were flying in a little too fast for the little spotted Kiwi. 1,500 fraudulent votes found by the Forest and Bird Department down there for the Kiwi. Was Kiwi just not an option? Well, it's a kiwi puku puku. And I think maybe the story that I had yesterday just called it a puku puku. But that's what a kiwi is, the little spotted kiwi. The moment the votes push the kiwi to the top of the leaderboard for the New Zealand Bird of the Year competition, uh, those votes were removed. Laura Keown is a spokeswoman for the Bird of the Year, and she says, quote, it's lucky we spotted this little Kiwi trying to sneak in an extra 1,500 votes under the cover of darkness. <laughs> They'll have to play by the rules like all the other birds to win the competition. Votes uh, that came in for the Kiwi came in between 1 and 3 in the morning and were discovered in the afternoon. Fake email addresses were used, and the votes were found by Forest and Birds Volunteer Election Scrutineer. This is a person who is crunching the data from all of the bird of the year votes in New Zealand, making sure that all of the email addresses are legitimate. That'd be a fun job. How charming to be in New Zealand this time of year. They say it was really easy to find the illegal votes because all of the votes came from the same IP address. They are ruling out foreign interference. They think this was an inside job in That's New right. Zealand. We got a guy. All of our birds deserve a fighting chance, they say, especially this little Manu or our smallest Kiwi, which is so threatened by predators that it is extinct on mainland New Zealand outside of predator-free sanctuaries. If you really love the Kiwi Puku Puku, get out and campaign for them in Bird of the Year. We don't want to see any more cheating. The campaign manager for the Kiwi Puku Puku bird is Emma Rawson, 
And that campaign manager is saying she does not condone the illegal votes. As our national emblem, the little spotted kiwi represents New Zealanders' values of democracy, fairness, equality, and honesty. But not bird of the year. A spokesperson for Team Hehe, who we told you yesterday is a bird that is polyamorous and has testicles four times bigger than any other bird on planet Earth, right? They're also the only bird that makes love uh, face face to face. face. Uh, he says uh, here, the spokesperson says here that the uh, this makes the Kiwi mob look bad. Quote, we're not surprised. Their eyes are too close together. Not the first time illegal votes have been cast for the bird of the year. Back in 2017, the white-faced heron received over 100 fraudulent votes. A scientist at Dragonfly Data Service has been running a computer program to track the votes brought those votes to the attention of the organizers of the Bird of the Year campaign down there. And he says, I've been running these programs for real elections in the U.S., U.K., and here in New Zealand, so I thought, why not do it for Bird of the Year? I noticed there was a big spike for the white-faced heron at midnight on the first day of voting, so I let Forrest and Bird know. All 112 votes came from the same IP address that time from a home in the Christchurch area in New Zealand. As of now... The leading bird in the Bird of the Year competition for New Zealand is the albatross. And the kakapo is close behind. Really? You want an albatross around your neck? That's what they're saying. Legitimate votes for Bird of the Year can be cast online. Uh, You've got until Sunday, 5 p.m. New Zealand time, which, geez, that might be right now. I don't understand how International Dateline works. Is it already Sunday there? What would it be, like 16 hours ahead of us? Or they're, 16, they're, 17? It's Wednesday by now, right? Oh, yeah. Four. 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 Do you remember Ontario Smith? Does that name ring a bell? Ontario Smith, he was a running back for the Minnesota Vikings. Canadian? I don't think he was Canadian. His name's not spelled the same way as the province. Ontario Smith. Yeah, no, Ontario don't, Smith. Don't remember that one. Played running back for the uh, Vikings, born in Sacramento, California, Darren, if you must know. Played for the uh, the Vikings 2003 to 2005 and finished his career with the CFL, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Ontario Smith, his, his claim to fame, or at least the only thing I remember him for, was when he got in trouble uh, trying to cheat on a drug test by using a device that's called... The Wizenator. The Wizenator, which is a, a, a fake male member that you can load up with someone else's urine so you can pass a drug test. Uh-huh. Does that ring a bell? They detained him at the Minneapolis-St. Paul Airport for carrying dried urine and the Wizenator. Dried urine? Yeah. I bet apparently you can just dr- add water. That's what they say. He was suspended for the entirety of the 2005 season because this was his third violation of the NFL's substance abuse part. Uh, Doesn't policy. seem as though it made a big uh, big impact on the NFL, suspending him for that year. That uh, every, The season went on just, uh, just fine. Yeah, <laughs> no. And then he was released uh, three days before the draft in 2006, a month away from the end of his suspension. The, the Vikings just went ahead and, 
and cut him. Did you ever have him on your fantasy team? Not that I can After remember. hearing this, I picked him up. <laughs> That's the sort of uh, gumption I need on my team. He was selected, Ontario Smith selected in the fourth round in the 2003 draft. And after the draft, he went and shaved the letters S-O-D into his head. S-O-D standing for steal of the draft. Everyone knows that. Again, he was in the league for three seasons, but really only two because he was suspended for one of them. Uh, As a rookie... 105 uh, carries for 579 yards and five touchdowns. I mean, the kid had some potential. And listen, I like to have fun as much as the next guy. But he got suspended after his third time getting in trouble with the drug policy there with the NFL. Maybe cool it with the drugs for a couple of years and then, you know, I wonder if he, have some fun. If he mowed SOD into his lawn and, and <laughs> confused everybody. We're all just puzzled. Ontario, what are you is he, what are you doing? Is he selling sod? <laughs> After his career ended with the NFL, he went up to the Canadian Football League, uh, came to camp twenty pounds over his playing weight, then suffered a foot injury on the first day of practice. It's always something. And uh, then he was released. So Ontario Smith, not really an example of a sterling professional football career. After his career was done, uh, two years after he was he was cut by the uh, the, the Blue Bombers, there uh, Ontario Smith pulled over in Sacramento, California, uh, booked on a misdemeanor DUI charge as well as a traffic warrant. His bail was set at thirty seven hundred dollars, and he couldn't post that bail. I won't. Number thirty two for your Minnesota Vikings played his uh, career uh, in college at uh, Oregon, I believe. The Wizenator is back in the news, which is why I bring up the ballad of Ontario Smith. And the Wizenator was used, we're finding out now, with great success by none other than Iron Mike Tyson. Hmm. Tyson, who's always said, look, I never use steroids. Uh, he was on a, 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 an episode of his podcast. And he is admitting, admitting now that he did, in fact, use a Wizenator. Mm-hmm. But... But he wasn't trying to mask steroid use. No. It was the recreational stuff that he was in. He was on his podcast, which is called, and this is great. If you're Mike Tyson and you're going to do a podcast about your career and your recreational drug use, the best name for that podcast has been selected. It's simply called Hot Boxing. Mm, I thought it was going to be Lend Me Your Ear. He revealed how he would use a Wizenator to avoid testing positive for drugs. Saying here, quote, It was awesome, man. I put my baby's urine in it. And sometimes, one time I was using my wife's, and my wife was like, Baby, you better not hope it comes back pregnant or something. And I said, Nah, so we ain't going to use you anymore. How do you We're going to use the kid. How do you collect your baby's urine? Doesn't that end up in a diaper? Yeah, well, you could wring it out, I suppose. You can't have a baby whiz in a cup, right? Not easily. He has consistently defended himself as a clean fighter, but he has not shied away from using other drugs. He was using the Wizenator, he says, to hide his use of marijuana and a cocaine. Mm. 
He's getting ready for that exhibition match against Roy Jones Jr. That's happening later that's on this month. Yet yeah. to happen, huh? Yeah, that's later on this month. The Staples Center in L.A. And yes, I'll be on cocaine. His last fight was June 2005, and he hasn't had the title since 1996. Wow. Wow, that's a long time ago. Yeah. 1996 is the last time he He had was the, the champ? Was that all three belts? Is that what they're talking about? I don't know. Seems like a long time ago. It sure does, because it is. <laughs> that's that's it why. It seems that way, because it's coming up on 25 years. Yeah. Well, yeah, the Wizenator back in the headlines, because Mike Tyson was milking his baby for urine, apparently. Hook him on up to contraptions, or... I don't know how you would even do that. No, it doesn't make other a than, lot of sense. Other than wringing it out. No. Endorsed by Mike Tyson. Mm-hmm. In shops everywhere. Five. 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 Number five. Story here about a firefighter in America's Wang, Darren. Florida. And this firefighter is in the news because he's accused of stealing Pokemon cards from a Walmart. A Central Florida firefighter. Uh, he's with the Haines City, Florida uh, fire department there. Well, fighting fires isn't all I do. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't necessarily define me. He stole a, is alleged to have stolen $165 worth of Pokemon cards. This happened at the Walmart. Police say that the uh, firefighter Joel Strickland was caught on surveillance video switching barcodes on packs of gaming cards at Walmart. This is around 6.30 on Thursday. A record show he took the barcode stickers from lower-priced Pokemon cards and placed them on more valuable packs and then took them to the self-checkout. A loss prevention officer confronted this guy before he could leave the store, and then they called the cops. So he was giving himself a discount. Yeah. The firefighter's discount, I call it. (laughs) Authorities say his plan was to flip the Pokemon cards to make extra money because he's been struggling financially. Well, I'm a voluntary, volunteer firefighter, truth be told. There's just not as much money in firefighting as I thought there was going to be. I thought this was going to be a much more lucrative job, but I am struggling. I really thought there'd be more fires. In my defense, I thought thought we got paid by the fire. And in my defense, (laughs) I I was never told this. I thought, you know, there would be (laughs) tipping that took place. The Haines City Police Chief, Jim Alensky, said, quote, help is a phone call away. If you are struggling, struggling, there are a myriad of resources available. As public safety employees, we're expected to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the respect our communities show us. So, yeah, now this guy's looking at a petty theft charge for, again, a 30-year-old man stealing Pokemon cards. He was hoping to flip and make a profit. Hot Pokemon cards from a firefighter. Call it a scheme if you want to. Mm-hmm. Pokemon also in the news as a set of fish have figured out a way to uh, play Pokemon and beat the game by swimming around in a tank with motion tracking. 
They've been letting these fish play games. And the last achievement, they say, is a Pokemon victory over a region champion. It took the fish 3,195 hours to beat the uh, latest Pokemon game. The fish tanks are mapped with directional arrows, as well as A and B buttons. And as a fish swims into a button's mapped area, that activates the buttons in the Pokemon video game. It says here, in order to keep the fish healthy, they swap the fish out every 12 hours. And then where do you put them? Mm, oh no! Keep the fish healthy. Wait, you think they're gonna get burnt out playing Pokemon? The fish don't know that they're no. playing Pokemon, do they? They have no idea that they won. This is a this is a thing where <laughs> it's something they call the Infinite Monkey Theorem, which states if you have a monkey sitting on a typewriter yeah. for an infinite amount of time. Eventually, it'll keep banging out at the keyboard, and eventually, yes. it'll type out a Shakespeare yeah. play. But these things have figured out a way to beat the Pokemon game in, th- like, 3,200 hours. We'll write a Shakespeare play. Yeah, you've never heard that? The, the idea of if you had a room full of monkeys uh-huh. and a room full of typewriters, and you had an infinite amount of time, mm-hmm. eventually, they would accidentally write a Shakespeare play. Mm, false. Infinite amount of time. No, I get infinite amount of time. I get it. Forever. Yeah. Not going to happen. At some point. Might write a line from Shakespeare. <laughs> might do uh, to be or not to be. You don't think they could come up with. Like, to write ha- the whole thing? Hamlet. No. They're, that, But that's all these monkeys do. Like, that's all they do. I don't, in this, if in I this did it for an infinite amount of time, just banging on. Uh, if I just. If I tried to write. A, a Shakespeare play, uh-huh. and it had an infinite amount of time. I wouldn't write it. The monkey in the infinite monkey theorem. I guess, I guess this is not. I keep saying room full of monkeys. It's just one monkey in the infinite monkey theorem. It doesn't mean infinite monkeys. <laughs> it just means a monkey with an infinite amount of time. I've always thought it was like so many monkeys that eventually it would happen. The infinite monkey theorem states that a monkey hitting keys at random on a typewriter for an infinite amount of time will almost surely type any given text, such as the complete works of William Shakespeare. Mm-hmm, In fact, the monkey would almost surely type every possible finite text an infinite number of times. However, the probability that monkeys filling the entire observable universe would type a single complete work such as Shakespeare's Hamlet is so tiny yes. that the chance of it occurring in a period of time hundreds of thousands of orders of magnitude longer than the age of the universe mm-hmm. is extremely low. Yes. But this is the thing, Darren. It's extremely low, but it's not technically zero. There's a chance. Okay. You're, there's a difference between it being technically zero and saying that it will happen. Well, but I would say if there's a chance and an infinite amount of time, then that means it will happen. Just because it would take a time many times longer than the known length of the universe. Still wouldn't happen. Almost surely is a mathematical term with a precise meaning. And the monkey is not an actual monkey, but a metaphor. 
for an abstract device that produces an endless random sequence of letters and symbols. Sure sounds like you're changing your theorem on me. Well, I didn't come up with it, and I'm disappointed to know that there's not really a monkey. If we're not really we're not even when, talking about a monkey. If even. this isn't a real monkey at a real typewriter, then this whole thing seems like a colossal waste of time. <laughs> it seems we're not doing with actual monkeys. They did a, a a test on this, 2002. How can you test it? Uh, they had a they got a grant, and they wanted to test the literary output of real monkeys. And so they left a computer keyboard in the enc- enclosure of six monkeys. And for a month. And now this is a month. How six, many sentences six, did they write? Six monkeys had had a keyboard for a month. Gibberish. It says here, not only did the monkeys produce nothing, (laughs) but five total pages, largely consisting of just the letter S, Uh the male lead monkey began striking the keyboard with a stone, Uh and other monkeys followed by soiling the keyboard. (laughs) Now you're talking. Now you're talking reality. (laughs) (laughs) That I could have told you. I could have told you that they were going to pee on the keyboard. The conclusion of this experiment was that monkeys are not random generators. They're more complex than that. Uh-huh. They were never interested in the keyboard. No. no. And when they saw that they uh, had typed uh, a letter, it says here, something happened. There was a level of intention here. So, yeah, banging on it with a rock and then yeah. soiling the keyboard. <laughs> That's what you got for a month's work. <laughs> And you're saying, oh, but if we only had eternity, that would change things. Gotcha. I'm looking here. It's just the letter S a lot. Uh, I mean, it's just all the letter S. A couple of Gs. Looks like they fell in love with the H and the Q for a while. Listen, I'm not saying you're not writing something. It's just not Shakespeare. Uh Uh-huh. All right. You're writing something. I'll give you that. But it ain't Shakespeare? No. Not word for word. If that's what you're saying, word for word, here's Hamlet from start to finish, and I got it exactly right. Okay. Maybe the problem with this experiment was they used real monkeys. Then call it something else. <laughs> yeah. If we're not using monkeys, I don't want to do it. Okay. I, I, I'm willing to concede the point, Darren. You're probably right. We'll never know for sure, but we're for sure. <laughs> Is it all over, Rock? I guess so. I didn't think it'd be like this. And those truly were the top five things. Moments we'll remember. (laughs) These are the moments we'll remember. Thanks so much for downloading the show and subscribing to it and liking it and leaving reviews. Uh, We're we're working on another one even as we speak. What a world. The podcast was brought to you by Nature's Treatment of Illinois on Tech Drive in Milan and West Main Street in Galesburg. The Milan store offers both medicinal and recreational. Galesburg is recreational only. And uh, remember that uh, the recreational waiting lists are available. That makes it nice and easy. Reserve your time. You can do so if you go to the website. That would be ntillinois.com. Until we get a chance to do it again, thanks for listening and hang loose, kooks. And you stay classy and safe, Quad Cities. Come on, Quad Cities, represent. This is for the Quad Cities, rep the spot. Davenport, yeah, we keeping it locked. Rock out, come on. And-
and it just don't stop. Eat small lean, yeah, they keeping it hot. Uh. Yo! Hi! It's almost time to go. Aww. But first, let's go back and remember what we did today. Okay! Can you help me? Yeah! Can we dance? Yeah! Well, let's do it. I'll break it down. Yeah! 